0: Please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you turn, let me welcome the thousand plus people that join us online, and also our friends in Kalispell, uh, Montana, at Purpose Church Kalispell, and also First Baptist Church of Arco, Idaho. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. Now we are finishing up a four-part series during the month of January from the book of Proverbs called Words of Wisdom. And there are many different approaches you can take to the book of Proverbs, but here's the one I've chosen. We're, gonna, we're looking at 12 different themes, about three per Sunday, three times four, 12 different major themes, some of the major themes of the book of Proverbs. And then I've picked um, an obscure Old Testament story uh, to, in order to illustrate each one of these particular themes. So today we're going to talk about pride, conviction, and getting back up on your feet once again. So the first theme from the book of Proverbs talks a lot about this is watch out for pride. The Bible says pride goes before a fall. It says watch out about pride because if you're proud, uh, you are inviting a fall in your life. Pride goes before a fall. Proverbs 15, verse 25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. Uh, Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit Before a fall, better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Now, I just want to mention one thing kind of as a sidebar. It's a little bit connected to the message, but it's a little bit to the side that God just really spoke to my heart. And I just want to just share with you how much I love and appreciate you as a church family. Uh, This one phrase, better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed. And you know what I have really just sensed so powerfully Uh, through the years, that, you know, many of us that go to church here also live in Pomona, but many, many of us uh, that come to church here live in other communities around Pomona. And what is it that God, what is it that causes you to come here? What is it that God lays on your heart uh, to be here? I mean, you pass by a lot of churches where you're not going to be hit up for money as you walk in uh, to church. Uh, You pass by a lot of churches, I mean, why, why do you choose a church that is on Holt Avenue, which is the corridor. It's considered one of the major corridors in the United States for human trafficking. What is it that draws you here? Uh, even though maybe you pass churches that you wouldn't have those particular particular uh, challenges. What What is it? And I think because there's a special anointing and blessing. And don't get me wrong, God calls different churches to different things and he calls different people to different things. But he's called us to this and he's called you to this. And I think it's because you sense There is a special anointing, better to be lowly in spirit, rubbing shoulders with the oppressed. There's something about rubbing shoulders with the oppressed that invites God's blessing and anointing on your life. This might be my imagination, and maybe it's just because it's my home court, I don't know. But I always feel an anointing when I preach in Pomona that I do not feel elsewhere. I I preach much worse other places than I do here. And you're sitting there going, how in the world could that be? We, we just can't even imagine that kind of thing. But I, I, it's, it's a crazy thing. It's almost like the Lord's anointing leaves me when I go outside of the Pomona City boundaries there. It's a weird thing. And, and, I, and I just sense, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just really sense... This, this, this anointing, this blessing, better to be lowly in spirit, to rub shoulders with the oppressed, to stay, uh, even as God blesses our lives, to still stay connected with the oppressed is something that brings joy uh, to the heart of God. Um, Proverbs 18, verse 12, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Now, a great illustration of this is Uzziah. He's not a very popular n- name in the Bible. Nobody names their child Uzziah. He's not all that well known, but he should be because he reigned over, he had a kingship for over half a century. He was the king of Judah for 50, for 52 years. But watch what happened later in his life. Good start, bad finish because of pride. Second Chronicles 26, verse 1. It says, then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elith and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah, she was from Jerusalem, and these were good, good years. This was a great half century, you know, comparable to David's reign, to Solomon's reign. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And then the next 10 verses just repeats all of his great accomplishments. He was an inventor. He was a military leader. He was an economic leader. He was a political leader. Just 10 verses of just success. We pick it up with verse 15. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Greatly helped by God until he became powerful. What what happened then? But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. For every hundred people that could handle adversity, there's only one that could handle success. And Uzziah was not that one. He becomes powerful. Success after success, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. We talked last Sunday about how Moses, you know, the danger of gifted people, people that are very gifted is that they think their expertise leaks over into other areas where they are not an expert. And so just because you're a genius in one area, it doesn't make you a genius in all other areas. And how Moses was an awesome leader of Israel, but he was lousy at setting up a judiciary system, just terrible, and but he was open to advice from his father-in-law Jethro and so it all worked out well in the end. Well, this is the same thing. In the same way our government has three branches, executive, judiciary, and legislative, Uh, in the same way Israel, in a different way, Israel had three leaders, prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king were the leaders of Israel. And they all had different functions, and they weren't supposed to go into the other area of, of function. They should stay in their own area. And so Uzziah was a brilliant king, but he thought because he was a brilliant king, he could also be a brilliant prophet Or in this case, a brilliant priest. And only the priests were supposed to offer sacrifices in the temple. And he enters the temple saying, well, I'm such a great king. I must be a great priest as well. And he goes in there to burn incense on the altar of incense. Verse 17. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests. They go in there to confront him. Now that takes courage. This is speaking truth to power is what these guys were doing. Because he could have them all executed. But these 80 courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence, before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead. So they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. And he had this struggle uh, until his death. Because you got to watch out for pride. And, you know, particularly, man, this is one that really convicted me. Just watch out. I mean, there's a certain type of pride in in the early part of your life where you, you think you know it all and you can do it all. But there's a certain pride that leaks in at the end of your life where you think you've done it all and you know it all. And we become stubborn, and we think, you know what, yeah, I, I got it all together, I, I know what I'm doing here, I'm not going to receive from other people. And so for every stage of life, the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, the fourth quarter, watch out for pride. Now, the second one, the second theme is this, respond instantly to conviction, And remember a few months ago, we had a series on the Holy Spirit and how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the difference between being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Every person, when they commit their life to Christ, is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes to live in you, and sin doesn't change that. He will be there until you go to heaven. And so sin doesn't mean Jesus leaves, then you don't sin, he comes back, he leaves, he comes back. No, Jesus is there, he indwells you, and he will stay there. But sin interrupts it, and he's no longer in control of your life. You are no longer filled with the Holy Spirit. And the illustration we use is of driving a car. Remember that car illustration we had? That when you accept Jesus, and you've seen the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot, that's not good theology. He should be your pilot, not your co-pilot. And so uh, when you, you open the door, you invite Jesus in, and you put him behind the steering wheel. When he first comes into your life, you put him in the steering wheel, you're in the passenger seat. But then, as you drive down the road to him fulfilling his plan and purpose for your life, after a while, you think, you know what? We become backseat drivers. No, Jesus, turn here. No, 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 Jesus, where are you going? No, 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 over here. And so finally, we say, I'm going to take over. So we grab the steering wheel from Jesus. He's a gentleman. He'll just slip over into the passenger seat. And, and you make a U-turn and begin driving in the opposite direction. Now, Christian maturity is making it as quickly as possible. When you get convicted and say, oh my goodness, I just took the steering wheel back from Jesus. And the faster you can make that decision, you instantly respond, Oop, time out, Jesus pull over. Okay, Jesus back behind the steering wheel again. And then you do a U-turn and start going in the right direction. The more effective and productive your Christian life will be, the more distance you'll put in in the, in the right direction. How we respond to conviction determines everything. Determines whether we end up in heaven or hell. Or once Christ is in our lives, it determines how many miles of our life are spent in the right direction rather than the wrong direction. And so that's why it's important to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And filled with the Holy Spirit means to instantly respond to conviction. As soon as you recognize, oh, I took the steering wheel back from Jesus again, Jesus, give it back. And I will admit, in my life, it's an every-moment process through the day. Whoops, Jesus, back, 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 you know, so my car goes like this, you know, all day long. But, eventually, but the more you can keep it going in the right direction, with Jesus under control, the more you'll fulfill your destiny. You'll fulfill your purpose and the plan he has for your life. And it's disaster to never give him uh, the steering wheel. Proverbs 19, verse 3. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. My goodness. Um, much of our trouble, we have nothing to do with except living in a fallen world. You know, blame Adam and Eve. Um, if Glenn and Kimberly were there, they would have done the same thing. At least Kimberly would have, I'm, I'm sure. And so at any rate, yeah, yeah that's a joke. I'm just kidding. I'm not that guy. But, but we would have done the same thing. So a lot of it is just because we live in a fallen world where the cumulative result of other people and our bad decisions. But some of it specifically, cause and effect. God told us to do this. We ignore God, and we reap the consequences of that. And so some people, by their own folly, it leads to their ruin, yet they shake their fist at God. God, why do we live in such an evil world? Uh, why, do we, why are so many people starving? Why don't you take the money out of my wallet and give it to them? No, it's me that doesn't take the money out of my wallet and give it to them. And, and, and our own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Here's another danger. Proverbs 29 verse 1, whoever remains stiff-necked, another word for stubborn. After many rebukes, God speaks to us through a sermon or through reading the Bible or speaks to our conscience and many rebukes, but we're stiff-necked. Nope, 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 nope. And we we live under the illusion that we're getting by with it because, hey, I said no to God. Nothing happened. Many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed and this time it'll be without remedy. Uh, Proverbs 28, verse 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But, now it has all been depressing so far. Aren't you glad you came to church? Okay? (laughs) Speaking about raging against God, stiff-necked. Here's the little word that changes everything. Oh, I love that word. Love that word. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I love that praise song that we finished with, the the last song before everything, uh, before baptisms mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that good, good news? Anybody want to say amen to that? Mercy triumphs over judgment. But, circle that in your study outline, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. That's what we mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I realize, I just took the wheel, the steering wheel from Jesus. I confess it, which means agreeing with God that I'm wrong, renounces it. Jesus, you take the steering wheel once again, will find mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is David. We talked about him at the beginning of this series a few weeks ago when we started out with the example of David and, and Abigail. And David was a great man, used by God. His, his impact is echoing into eternity. Millions, maybe billions, will be in heaven because of David. All right? we, David had a tremendous life of impact. But, oh my goodness, did he have a lot of flaws. This guy had a lot of failures, a lot of flaws. But here's the one character trait he had which helped him to finish well in his walk with God, even though he fell multiple times. You know what it was? This principle we're looking at right now. He instantly responded to conviction. He it, God's not looking for perfect people, he's looking for people that will respond when he convicts us. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for imperfect people who will respond as quickly as possible uh, to conviction. And David had a lot of flaws, but this is the positive trait that helped him to be victorious in the end and to live an effective uh, walk with God. Let's look at some examples. We saw this a few weeks ago. David and Abigail, she confronts him with a sin he's about to commit. And his first response is, praise be to the Lord. Pray, pray, thank you God for sending her to me. Thank you for a, a smart woman for, to keep me from doing a stupid thing. How many of you men would agree with that prayer? Okay. Thank you for a smart woman that kept me from doing a stupid thing. Praise be to the Lord, the God of, who has sent you today uh, to meet me. And this is one after he committed a sin with Bathsheba. He commits adultery with her. Then he kills her husband Uriah in order to cover up it, to cover the sin up when she becomes pregnant. His friend Nathan confronts him. And the first response he has to this confrontation, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned not against just Bathsheba and Uriah. I have sinned against the Lord. Instantaneous response. And you know, a little side note to this, and I don't know if I'm right on this or not, but later on, David has a son, and he names him Nathan. Now, we don't know why he named him Nathan. There are a million reasons why we name our children. I mean, why did my parents give me the middle name Kermit? who knows, who knows, but, but uh, um, what's going through their minds, you know, but, but <laughs> actually, there's a good reason, named after my dad, he was a senior, 1913, he was born, they were recent immigrants to the United States, Teddy Roosevelt had a son named Kermit, they loved their new country, they loved their new president, they named me after the middle son, uh, the son's name, okay, anyway, that, that, so there was a good reason, but I think maybe a reason that he names him Nathan, is he appreciated a friend who would confront him with his sin. David's a better man than me. I think about people that have confronted me when I've done wrong, and I'm glad they did it, but I don't have warm fuzzies when I think about them. Not to the point I'm going to name my kid after him, all right? But David so appreciated a friend that it spoke truth to power, that was willing to confront the king who had absolute authority, put his life on the line to do it, that later on, I believe, he names his son after him. Uh, and then David wrote this psalm, Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4, 5. He sits down and writes, have mercy on me, O God. This is after the event. After he's confronted by Nathan, he says, he, he, he responds, he renounces it, he confesses it. And then he sits down and he writes this praise song. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right. Not raging against God when our own bad decisions lead to bad consequences. You are right. I am wrong in your verdict. And justified. You're justified when when you judge. And then a final example, David and Joab. Joab was another friend of his he was his top general and David wanted to count the the fighting people because there was great pride for what's in your military I mean this is what kings bragged about when they had king times together you know I got an army of such and such oh you got an army of such and such and so he was going to count all the fighting men and it was an act of pride and his his general Joab who was not a godly man this was man bites dog Joab was not a godly guy but you got to be open I'm off on a tangent now got to be open to receiving from everybody. And sometimes you might think, oh, well, who are they to give me advice? Joab was not a, g- a godly guy, and yet he's right this time, and David is wrong. And he says, don't count the men. That's an act of pride. God's not going to like that. He does it anyway. And this time he doesn't even need Joab to confront him a second time. His conscience does it. Uh, 24 verse 10, David was conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting men. Instantly, instantly. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. So principle number two is to respond instantly to conviction. And now number three, the final one of this series, good one to end on, is get back up and finish the race. Maybe the reason God called you here today, maybe the reason you're watching online, he just called you for one thing. Have you been knocked down by life? Maybe it's something out of your control, a physical problem or a financial difficulty. Have you gotten knocked down? Maybe it was of your own making. Maybe it was my own sin that did this. Have you gotten knocked down? And God called you here today to hear one phrase, get back up and finish the race. Uh, God didn't call you to the Christian race to just start it. He called you in order to finish it. We're going to finish with Samson. Now Samson... He broke about every proverb we've studied this last month. He was a bad boy. My goodness. And, and he wasn't like David that had instant response to conviction. He finally learns it at the end of his life. And that's the good news. You know, it's better the earlier. Those of you that are young adults, learn it early. Learn it early. Everybody my age and older said amen, right? Okay, amen. Learn it early. Learn it early. Learn it early. But... But on the other hand, better to learn it late than never. Anybody wants to say Amen to that? Better to learn it later than, rather than than never. Um, and and he breaks all these that we're going to look at right now. Uh, and yet in the end, he got back up and he finished. He finished the race. Uh, better a patient person than a warrior. You know the Bible says that if you are if you are patient. Maybe even not a patient person. Even like once this week, you're patient. All of heaven notices and says, you are stronger, better than a warrior like Samson. One with self-control. Every time you have a moment of self-control, heaven applauds because you are better than one who takes a city. Like Samson who lifted up city gates and tore them off the wall and walked away with them. It says if you have self-control and patience, you have patience, you, you are stronger than the greatest warrior. A man observed a woman in the grocery store with a three-year-old girl in her grocery cart. As they passed the cookie section, the child asked for cookies and her mother told her no. The little girl immediately began to whine and fuss and the mother said quietly, now Ellen, we just have half of the aisles left to go through. Don't be upset, it won't be long. He passed the mother again in the candy aisle. Of course, the little girl began to shout for candy. When she was told she couldn't have any, she began to cry. The mother said, there, there, Ellen, only two more aisles to go, and then we'll be checking out. The man again happened to be behind the pair at the checkout, where the little girl immediately began to clamor for gum and burst into a terrible tantrum upon discovering there would be no gum purchased today. The mother patiently said, Ellen, we'll be through this checkout stand in five minutes, and then you can go home and have a nice nap. The man followed them out to the parking lot and stopped the woman to compliment her. I couldn't help noticing how patient you were with little Ellen. The mother broke in. My little girl's name is Tammy. I'm Ellen. (laughs) Try that on the 10 freeway this week. Now, Glenn, you're almost home three more exits to go. You're almost home. Come on, Glenn. You you can do this. You can go home and have a nice nap uh, when you get home. (laughs) Proverbs 19, verse 11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I love that verse. Do you know that whenever somebody offends you and you say, you start to respond, you go, let it go. All of heaven stands up and applauds. It is to your glory to overlook an offense. It is to God's glory when you overlook an offense. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Boy, if you can't control your temper, you know, an ancient city, if their walls were broken down, they were defenseless, they were vulnerable, and that's the way we are uh, when we uh, lack uh, self-control. Probably um, best example of this, of self-control and patience is Jackie Robinson, who God used to break the race barrier in baseball. And he was a member of the Dodgers at that time, the Brooklyn Dodgers. He was a committed follower of Christ, as was uh, the president of the Dodgers, Branch Ricky, And God used Jackie Robinson to break down the, the race barrier um, in baseball. Now, sometimes God allows us to feel the consequences of, of our sin. And that has a, a, a purpose of purifying us when we feel the consequences of it. Proverbs nineteen nineteen: a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty, rescue them. This is about enabling people in our lives sometimes to continue down a path and keep bailing them out. If you rescue them, you'll have to just do it all over again. And so sometimes God allows us to reap the consequences of our actions, and it, has, it puts us in a furnace. Uh, sometimes we don't change when we see the light, but when we feel the heat. And so he puts us in a furnace, and and in that furnace, it removes the impurities. Proverbs 25, verse 4, remove the dross or the impurity from the silver, and a silversmith can produce a vessel. Now here's the great last uh, verse in Proverbs that we're going to look at, and then we're done. Proverbs 24, verse 16, For though the righteous fall, seven times they rise again. Maybe God called you here this morning just to hear that that one verse. Though the righteous fall seven times, they will rise again. Not just seven times, 700 times, 7,000 times. I fall seven times in a day sometimes. Okay? But though the righteous, when the wicked stumble, they, stay, they fall down and stay down. But the righteous, as we fall down, we reach up and grab the hand of Jesus and he picks us up again and again and again. And just like the runner from Tanzania We finish the race. We may not sprint through the finish line. We may hobble across with bandages all over us. But we do finish with God's help. Um, I encourage you to read the story of Samson on your own. I want to have time for an extended time of worship and for us to do some prayer and that kind of thing. So Praise Band, you can come on up right now. But I was listening to um, a great uh, song from Casting Crowns. They're a great uh, Christian band. And and there was a line in their song, and again, maybe the whole reason God brought you here today is just to hear the line from this song. It, it, It really ministered to me. When you think your life is falling apart, it is actually just falling into place. With God behind the scenes, with God controlling things, with you turning over to God, When you fall down, instantly responding to conviction, instantly calling out to God when you fall down, maybe this morning you think that area of your life or your life in general is falling apart. But maybe, just maybe, God is working behind the scenes and it is not falling apart. It is just falling into place. And the righteous may fall seven Times, ten, seven, seven hundred times, seven million times, but they always will rise again. And God is calling out to you, rise, rise, my child. You got knocked down, but I invited you here to, to hear this word take my hand and get back up to your feet once again. So we're going to close with a couple of worship songs. And as we're doing this, I'm going to have some of the pastors that are going to be here at the front. And if uh, maybe there's something you just want to pray about. You know, an area where you feel knocked down, you want to pray? Maybe you want to come forward to say that you want to follow Jesus. You want to start that race with Him and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. You want to open the car door and have Jesus come in and take the steering wheel. Maybe you're convicted about something through Proverbs and you say, you know what, Lord, I want to turn this area uh, over to You. Like I said that I had been really convicted about the story of Uzziah. And so as I'm up here, I'm going to like turn that thing over Uh, come to the altar, come to God's altar and turn that thing of of pride and and watching out for that later in life uh, over to him. Or maybe you just feel knocked down in an area and you just want to come forward and have a a pastor privately and personally, quietly uh, pray with you during this worship time in order to encourage you and, and say, God, I'm crying out to you. I want to get back up on my feet once again. So let's stand together and please don't be shy. Uh, Grab a hold of the opportunity. The pastors will be here at the front and they would love to pray with you if that in any way would be an encouragement to you.